Hello and welcome to the Coon Hunting University podcast. This is your host, Tyler Duncan. And like always, class is in session. Coon Hunting University is brought to you by Conkey's Outdoors, hunting and hound supply store. Find out more at conkeysoutdoors.com and Superior Hunting Lights. Superior, step up to the max. Use discount code CHUPODCAST at checkout and receive 5% off on nighthunters.com. So I've got, it's me, Mr. Eddie Simmons are here. We're here and uh, you, you ready to get kicked off or what? Yeah. All right. So I've been looking forward to this one, man. Uh, I think it's going to be really good and I know the folks are going to enjoy it. What's going on, buddy? Oh, not much out of you. All doing pretty good. Been kind of looking forward to this and that's good so kevin you know kind of before we get kicked off why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself 30 years old i've come on it pretty much my whole life and just kind of always been a dream to make it you know what i mean make it a life where i can live it and make a living out of doing it and i guess you can just say it was a dream come true yeah for sure how'd you get your start into coon hunting my grandpa carl hall which would have been my mom's uh my mom's dad uh he always coon hunted and then my uncle james tyree kind of kind of took me a bunch once once he got up where he couldn't take me no more james used to always take me and and he got to drag me around to the hunts and just kind of took off from there so how old do you think you was kevin when you started going to the competition hunts Mm, i was i was eight years old i won my first uh youth hunt when i was eight i I finished fourth in a little youth hunt here down the road from the house uh at liberty coon club wow that that's impressive well let me ask you this backing up a little bit uh how many hunts did you have to compete in before you got a cw before you was a cast winner uh i'd say the first one i hunted in i I won my cast and uh, like i said finished fourth and then uh I done pretty good that year. I, I placed in several several that year. Uh probably before I lost, I probably won four or five before I ever lost a cast. Get out of here. Whose dog was you hunting, Kevin? Uh I was hunting a little female that uh James gave me. Her name was Cody Jody. Uh so she was my dog and I just I just he gave her to me and I hunted her and hunted a little bit through the week and hunted weekends when I, when dad would take me or dad usually would take me out to james's and i'd stay out there for the weekend get out of here when when he started teaching you where you would be ready i mean did he just take the rules and or did he concentrate on you knowing what the dog sounded like uh, uh i guess i'm asking what kind of plan did he use on you to get you ready he just told me to know my dog and the rest would fall in place well, so I just went out there and struck and treated my dog, and as I as I went to hunt, I I got different lessons. They used to call them twenty five dollar lessons, and just kind of you know what I mean try not to make the same mistake twice. Well, you was paying attention, buddy. You was listening, paying attention, because you sure done well. So, what were some of your accomplishments, kind of prior to owning the big money dogs? Uh. My lady female, I won a, uh, well, I guess before a dog I had called Coon Dog Jim, I won, a, I believe it was the 2005 PKC Youth World. 
with him. I owned him myself. And then uh, in 2009, I had a ma called uh, Lady. I ended up placing her in the top uh, top six of the Super Stakes. And then I also uh, got in the finals of the uh, Youth World with her. I got second that year with her and the Youth World. So with those dogs, did you ever breed them or anything? Or are you still uh, hunting anything off that at all? I ended up breeding Lady a couple times. I bred her to uh, Zeb 3, which off of that litter, there was three Super Stake champions off of that one litter. They won the one-year-olds, two-year-olds, and the three-year-olds, which they was off of my female and Zeb 3. But then I bred her a couple times to Big Money, but uh, never never really had nothing that, that suited me for me to keep it. There's some decent dogs out of them, but not, not what I liked. Yeah. So tell me the story about how you ended up with big money uh a boy down the road here had him and i hunt up he he worked second shift he worked swing shift so many days uh uh days and then second shift and when he worked on second shift we always got up together and hunted some and his name was travis allfield and i always liked the dog and I always tried to buy him and i never could get the dog bought and he he placed him in the in the finals of the baby stakes and I told Larry Danner, the guy I was hunting for at the time, I said, I know where a dog's at, but I can't get it bought. And he said, just stay on him. Well, I stayed on him, and Travis was fixing to get married, and he called me and priced him, and I went and bought him. When uh, I picked him up and got to hunting him there, and I always kind of thought it was funny because my Uncle James, he said, I don't know what you've seen in that dog. He said, but you got your work cut out for you. I said, I'm telling you, he's a good one. Well, I hunted him a couple months there, and, kind of got got the rough edges off of him and I, I went to winning with him pretty regular and i placed him as a one-year-old i won three earlies never could win a late round with him and then i got him in the final final three as a two-year-old in the super stakes and then come back and got him in the final finals again as a three-year-old and then got fourth but uh we always was knocking on the door i just i just couldn't get over that hump with him i won a pro hunt with him uh placed in several pro hunts with him just never could get a red hunt for a big one and then we end up winning the truck with him then i started studying him out and and i'm kind of going to ask this as if i know because we talked about this before but there's no money in stud dogs right no that's uh my uncle he always told me the whole time growing up he said only he said there's only money in two different types of dogs a brood female and selling a dog so I, he said, there's so many stud dogs out there. He said, you'll never make no money on them. Well, I started breeding him, and I got to making quite a bit of money on him. And it's kind of just a little joke me and him's got. Every time he comes over here, I said, I mean, I'm sure glad there ain't no money in stud dogs. He, he said, you proved me wrong. He said, you've done good, which he, you know, he's happy for me, but it's just kind of a little joke. He's always, he's always been for the pups and selling young dogs and breeding females, and I kind of went went the other way on it and was real successful with it you know uh kevin i kind of done uh been blessed to watch you through the years but i made just a little short list here uh you know you won the youth world championship uh you won the pup shootout old bank you won the world championship with him uh you're a ACHA world champion 
your lifetime earnings is $287,000, and that is eighth on the all-time PKC winning list. And I know there's a lot of things uh, I didn't mention, but that's quite accomplishments. And you just said you're 30 years old, and uh, that's a big that's a big deal. But I know you've worked hard for that. And uh, I was telling Tyler I've had the opportunity to hunt with your dogs, and them dudes, what I've seen out of them, they go hunting. They're very accurate, and they're good tree dogs. Are they born with that, Kevin, or are you just that good of of training dogs? And I'm being serious. I'm not asking you to brag because you don't brag. But, I mean, what's the deal? Um, I'm a firm believer in good dogs are born, not made. I've, I go through a bunch of dogs that people don't see, you know, that, that are decent dogs and would suit would suit you know would suit certain people around my house but they're not going to suit me when i get in my truck and drive 10 hours to mississippi uh to me for the difference with the dogs i keep they got they got big motors they're fast they're looking at tree coons and they're just naturally independent if they don't have certain traits you know when i see them as a pup even though they're a good dog they're not what i'm looking for because i'm looking for that extra and i think that's where a lot of people get hung up Guess they they get caught on looking for something. Well, yeah, this is a good dog. I, I'll be able to mold it, do this and do that with it. Not not saying that I don't ever correct them or do certain things to them, but uh, the least least you can do possible, the better off you, better off you are. Um, and I think that's where I have success as far as being able to win in Indiana, Texas, wherever I decide to go. I can I can win with the dogs that I keep because the way they hunt, the way they move, they're just so natural about doing it. Like big money, his dad, I hunted with him, Big D, which everybody knows him. He he was a big hunting, moving type of dog that's done winning all over the country. Uh, big money's mom, uh, Red Oak Diamond Ring, she was just a local female here around the house, but I hunted with her a bunch, and she she was a dead loner and uh, had a big set of wheels and treated a lot of coons. So I kind of go through a bunch of them, but I seem to keep finding that same trait in these dogs because of their movement and, you know, that's the way their ancestors was, and it was just a natural ability. I think a lot of people get away from, when they breed dogs, they just get to looking for, you know, well, this dog does this and this dog does that, but they don't look about, well, what was that dog when it was young? What was his natural ability before a good handler got it and put his finishing touches on it? Because a dog can't reproduce traits that are man-made. They can only reproduce natural traits. I think that's where a lot of people get away from uh, breeding. They just look at uh, a dog's winning rate, and it's hard for that dog to reproduce because it's it's not natural to it. Well, you know, and I understand 100% about natural dogs, but even with a natural dog, if I was to ask you a percentage of how often you hunt that dog right by theirself, how often do you mix it up, and then through the week, like uh, – you know, preparing a dog to win, you cutting them toward tree dogs or walking by them on the tree or uh, just some of the things you do uh, during the week to prepare these dogs. I mean, I know they're natural and I know they're born with it, but uh, how do you keep them tuned up? Uh, <clears throat> about the only person I really hunt with through the week, we, a buddy of mine here in the last, Lance Kaiser, uh, he lives about 20 minutes from me. I'd say me and him hunt together six nights a week, but we just kind of hunt. I mean, we just we just turn them loose, and uh, he normally hunts a dog, and I'll hunt one. And 
occasionally I'll cut two dogs loose together in certain spots where I can get around to them. My country, it's kind of hard. Everybody thinks, oh, you're in Indiana, you're in, you're in flat patch woods, which I got, we have a lot of coons, but over here on this state land that I hunt, it's pretty rough and you, it's a lot of hill country and wherever you turn loose, that's normally where you got to walk and go get them. Uh, so there's a lot of walking involved, but I just, I, I'll just be honest with you. I just, I don't really train a certain way. I, I just hunt them. If a situation comes up, I try to fix it. But for the most part, I don't have to work on mine much for being around dogs. Uh, that's one of their strongest deals. The pups off of big money that I've had is they're just natural loners. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do some hunting, sometimes turn his one way and mine the other on opposite sides of the road. But, uh, for the most part, we, we just hunt them. Uh, I used to do a lot more training than what I done. And I felt, I felt like I hindered the dogs more than I helped them. When I got to a hunt, uh, certain situations would come up and they, they'd be overtrained and kind of spaz out on you a little bit and be, be too far out of pocket next time you seen them. And, so I, I kind of, in the last five or six years here, I've kind of slacked off on the being so rough and physical training on them. I just kind of let them be their self. And I believe I've had more success since I've kind of backed off just a hair. Uh, guy gets to, so I, I think sometimes you can train too hard and, and overthink things as a handler and forget that the dog's a dog and not a, not a machine. That's probably one of the biggest things that I've learned over over the years is just to be more relaxed on them and let them let them kind of be theirself. And you still got to do certain things, but not as not as extreme that I used to do it. Yeah, that that's some great advice. It that really is. So, kind of going back to big money, what made him such a winner? His strongest part is he was a natural owner, uh, and he done everything so fast. Uh, he could tree a lot of layup coons sit, sitting around you. He could get in a pocket of coons and tree coons, or he could be a mile and just in just minutes and tree a coon. Uh, I believe it was the super stakes. I drawed Eddie, and Eddie Eddie was hunting a full litter mate sister to him, and, and she and she had me beat going to the next spot, and I had to have a uh, I had a tree a coon and Eddie not the tree a coon. I turned him loose with just a few minutes left, and it wasn't no time. He was he was sitting in there across two roads. And I got him treed in, went in there and had a coon. I about, I about killed Eddie that night walking to him, but he, he, I know that he had it in him and we moved spots and, uh, I had him turn loose and he was just, he done what he was supposed to do. Just fly in there and tree a coon. I remember that well, that dude went about a day and a half and it seemed like a two and a half minutes he was in there and you struck and treat him. And I'm thinking, boy, this ain't good. We get in there and I can remember the tree now. We had looked at it. Uh, you're there too. You correct me if I'm wrong. I bet we'd looked at that tree seven minutes. And I said, well, here's a CW. What about uh, 30 seconds to go? You found that coon and it was outstanding fine. And uh, you deserved it and earned it. And hey, you went on. But he, he walked us pretty good that night. Uh, I've seen them treat coons close, but uh, I think when they know I'm on the cast, they do that get in yonder deep and treat them coons. Yep, you're exactly right, Eddie. So, and then going back to being a dead loner and all, and you were talking about how it's natural and the big money dogs, is that one of the most important traits that you believe big money's imprinted on his offspring? I, I would say it's one of the, the biggest things. I mean, sometimes it's a little bit of a fault, you know, but uh, 
big money when he was a when he was a pup that was one of the biggest things i had to work on for a cast is he if, if he wasn't settled in a tree good when something come in there and covered him he'd he'd pick up and he'd move on he'd just go tree another coon and I spent a bunch of time with him just letting him know it was okay to be there with them dogs and if a dog did cover him to stay. But uh, that was probably one of the biggest struggles that I had with him when I first got him is he just wanted to be by himself so much. It was a little bit of a little bit of a headache. And I just worked him and worked him and done some different things and uh, he he come out of it. But uh, he would still never stay with a rough dog. If a, if a dog got rough with him, went to blowing around and pushing around he would still leave but i would say that's one of the reasons why it's such a big trait in his pups is because it was so natural to him i mean it's what everybody wants but it was almost a little bit of a fault to him but and that's kind of the deal with his pups it's why they're so natural i believe some of them i kind of have a question based off that in your opinion was it harder to get him to tree with other dogs than it would be on a dog that maybe needed some touching up for going and checking another dog out. You know, which one was, which one's harder do you think to uh, correct? Uh, I, w- I would say they're both pretty hard. Uh, you know, because a dog, if, if you go to correct and a dog that's going to other dogs, you create other issues uh, as far as just, you know, scooting over a tree or two or taking that track backwards and treeing on the den, you create some issues there and, with him, it was just kind of just getting him to stay and settle in. So it might have been a little bit easier, but it it was still it was still frustrating because you know you tree the coon and you're nervous the whole time. Well, can I dream? Can I not dream? Uh, and I'd say time he got about two years old, I I could about dream if he looked up, I could dream, no questions asked. He'd be there till I got there. But uh, but that that was definitely definitely a struggle that I had with him. Yeah, yeah, I bet so. Uh, but that's a good problem to have, though. <laughs> it, it, you win, you win by it, and you die by it. Or, I mean, you you know, you win by it, and you lose by it. There, but uh, it's won me a bunch, and it, and it's hurt me some, you know, because he's been too far. Instead of just getting fifty or a quarter on this coon rally truck, uh, him be blowed in there, you know, a mile, mile and a half, and never never get to where you could hear him the whole cast. Uh, I lost one of the super stakes like that. All I got to do is get him treed, treed in and I can win. I don't ever get him treed in. Don't ever hear him for the whole two hours of the hunt. Uh, and was treed, treed within 15, 20 minutes. He's treed and I just don't ever get to where I could hear him. So, uh, you know, it's, it's cost me some, but rather if I was going to lose, I'd rather lose like that than, than lose being around you and, and covering dogs. Yeah. He was a, he was a hunting machine. I remember Benny Taylor coming in one night after judging him and watching him win. Benny said, Ed, that thing right there ain't got no no backup in him. Said keeping up with him is a problem. But uh, crossing dogs on him, uh, was there certain lines of dogs that just really cross well with him? I get asked that question a bunch, and, and it's hard for me to answer that for sure because I've bred so many, and I ain't got to really keep up with all of them. Uh, but the ones that I've had the most success with has probably been a little bit of wipeout and tequila sunrise. Uh, and that might be a little bit more because I'm kind of just partial at because it's, it's always worked for me. Uh, it, it worked good on little money, which that's what little money was off of. Uh, he was off of a Zeb again, bitch and, a uh, tequila sunrise, right? Yeah. He was off of Zeb again and a tequila sunrise females, what he was off of. 
and I made a couple crosses on bank like that here that are about uh, right at a year old, and, and I'm really seeing some good things out of them that I like. So wow. I'd have to say that that's some of the better stuff that I've had cross if I had a pick. Well, I know that uh, his pups have won 400 and thirty-one thousand three hundred and seventy-four dollars, and he is in the top twenty uh, reproducing sires in PKC history. What an accomplishment! I mean, when you start talking about that, that's that's impressive. So, and you kind of brought up little money there, as far as you were saying, little money's out of a uh, Zeb again female out of. So, tell me a little bit about little money and what it was like winning the ACHA World Hunt with him. Uh, it wasn't as big as turnout as what, you know, what you would think a world hunt would be. I think there's about 50 dogs, I think, hunted down there, uh, that week, but, uh, he looked good as right here, not too far from the house, about 30 minutes from the house. And, uh, I hunted him the first night and I, I didn't do no good. I done a little bit too much thinking. He was, he was a dog that was going to be sitting through the country quick, fast and in a hurry. Don't matter where you cut him. And I took, I took him to a little spot and, uh. I hadn't really been treating no coons there, but there was a big section sitting in behind it. And I thought, well, I'll go here. He'll look good. They'll get hung up in this little patch. And Well, they, they treat like six coons in this little patch woods. And I didn't know there were six coons in that patch woods. And I, I'm sitting in there a mile out of pocket. Well, I withdraw and I go get him. Uh, the next night, I draw the same, about the same group of dogs. And I go to just a big, big country over here on the state land. And I treat three to their none. Uh, and then we stayed aware the rest of the time. And he just, I think every night, the next, I had a hunting one more round to get to the finals and he treated four coons that round. And then we went to the finals and I hunted another, uh, English female called jam. Uh, I hunted her and got her qualified and I let my uncle take her over and he, he, he won another cast with her and me and him both was in the finals there. And it was pretty much a shootout. I think he. He treated three coons and and uh, another dog in the cast uh, treated three coons, but he took a little bit of minus right there towards the end of the hunt and uh, it gave me kind of the victory with him. And that was one of the I, I won a pro hunt with him, but besides that pro hunt, that was the first thing that I actually won with him. Been in the finals of everything, but that was the first thing that I actually got first place in with him. Well, that dude definitely done good too, but. Yeah, Kevin. So kind of what I had was, uh, how does little money style compare to big money? Really? They was little money was just a freak of nature. I mean, he's, you hear these guys talk about a hunting dog and, uh, they do this, they do that. And old, old Joe, he's going to be in there just a second with a coon treat. And, uh, little money, just every time you cut him, he, he was treated somewhere every 15, 20 minutes. I don't care if I was in Indiana. I don't care if I was in Mississippi where I was at. I mean, he, he was going somewhere and training to coon just as fast as he could go. And that's kind of what separated him from anything I've ever hunted. It's just, just the motion and the speed that he had. I mean, he was anywhere from 17 to 20 mile an hour on a Garmin, uh, just a hundred mile an hour. But that was some of his hold too, because he would get out of pocket and, and he, he stayed hurt a bunch because I mean, he was just, he constantly hurt himself just running stuff through him and, uh, running through fences. I mean, he, he was just nuts, but when he treed, he had a cone, he stayed treed, kept him treed. Uh, that, that was his, his biggest, biggest strong point was his, just his ability. If, 
I had five minutes left in the hunt, and I had a tree coon, and he was getting cut back loose, and he'd go tree coon somewhere. Uh, big money. He he would hunt. He hunted, but now he was, I'd say his average speed was seven, eight mile an hour on a Garmin. Uh, he had his head in there looking looking for coons and trees. Uh, were were little money. He was just he was looking. I called him fur balls. He was just looking for a fur ball on the ground to, to run up a bush and tree. Uh, so that was kind of their differences. When when the going got tough, big money would probably tree a few more coons than him in the winter time. In pocket, where he, where he used his nose a little bit more. Little money. He he just he'd be so far sometimes that I must be ridiculous. But he'd have a coon tree somewhere. I think that uh, the first time I ever heard about him, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you went and hunted with Stephen Miller down there at uh, Startwell Refuge, and uh, Stephen told me about a young dog you had, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that was him. It's been a many a day ago. But yep, that was him. He was about 10 months old. And Stephen Miller was bad impressed, and I'm pretty sure he wanted you to leave him down in Mississippi. Yeah, before I, I ended up hunting him in the Winter Classics down there, and I won three casts. I, I got one Final Four with him down there that week, and uh, I had several people try to buy him that week. I turned down some pretty good money for him. Probably should have sold him, but he was the only thing I had at the time. But uh, my partner, Larry, with him at the time, he, he didn't really like to sell, so he, he, he got to come home back with me. But uh, if it had probably been up to me, he'd have probably – been sold down there for the money we got offered at, at the age that he was. Sure. Stephen, Stephen told me about that, uh, hunting with him there a couple times. And, uh, my buddy Stephen knows what a dog is and he's a, a good dog man, but, uh, he kept going back to him pretty regular about what he saw. Yep. He, he was definitely impressive. And, um, little money. Now that was big money's first litter, correct? Yes. Did that whole litter turn out? Did you keep up with any of them besides Little Money? No, I kept up with a bunch of them. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's one more dog that uh, Doug Blackwell had. She started training coons at a young age, treated a lot of coons, and she sold for some pretty good money at a young age. Uh, she, but she was she was just as good at five and six months old as she was probably to today. I don't know where she's at now, but. She's been bred several times, but she just never really got no better. Uh, was a stomp down coon treer and, and was impressive for her age. But little money was kind of the freak of the nature of that litter. Now, them females, there were several of them females that was bred, and their pups had won the super stakes, and they've done some winning. But now, far as their ability of their self, they wasn't, they wasn't real great. Some of them were tree coons, but they wasn't nothing to write home about. And do you feel like that's because of the opportunity or do you just feel like that was just pure ability? Conkey's Outdoors knows that keeping up with the latest in hunting technology can be expensive. That's why they're proud to offer amazing financing options from 30 days, same as cash to 0% interest for six, nine, 12, and even 18 months, depending on your credit score and the amount you spend. If you've been eyeballing that new thermal or want to upgrade to the latest in tracking system technology, go find out more on the web at conkeysoutdoors.com or if you're in the Hastings, Florida area, stop by and visit. They'd love to have you. Conkeys Outdoors, houndsmen, helping houndsmen. No, I mean, they, I know I kind of gave a few of them to some guys that I know did hunt them and they got hunted and they they got the chance. Uh, several of them did. and. 
and I even went back and bought some of them that didn't have the best chance and gave them the chance and they just really didn't they just didn't make it they had a lot of run in them they didn't they didn't really want to get treed uh I always kind of laughed said they took after the wipeout dogs they just done a lot of running and just couldn't get them to park you needed that old wipeout chair huh <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Kevin let me ask you this like if you got a young dog and uh you were spending time with it uh one month two months three months what's your what's your goal on the amount of time it takes you or you will allow a dog to show you what he can do i'm i'm pretty short i'm probably shorter than what most people are and and i've sold some dogs that i've got aggravated with and and know that they was decent and other people could get more out of them because they had more patience but I'd say if they're not, if I have them here and I've had them for a while and they're running tree and cones, they, they got about two to two weeks to a month. And if they don't, they don't show me something pretty quick, they're out of here. And if they did, and they could show me a lot of good stuff. And if they show me one, one thing that I really don't like, I, I get rid of them. I just know what it takes for me to suit me. And if it ain't going to suit me, I, I just get rid of it. And I've sold a bunch of dogs that's went and done a bunch of winning after I've sold them. Uh, just because of that, because they done something that aggravated me and the lifestyle I live, I try to stay as least aggravated as possible. And a dog, a, a dog and a woman's two things that can aggravate you the most. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I try to, I, 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 my wife, me and her, we, we don't argue and don't, I mean, we'll bicker and fight around a little bit, but we don't, we don't aggravate each other. And I sure ain't going to have a dog aggravate me. You got that right. So, well, let me ask you this, just like, uh, your dogs I've hunted with, I've never, and I pay attention to stuff. Uh, if you get a dog that runs a tree or if you get a dog that gnaws, are you going to spend any time uh, trying to mess with that? And what would you do uh, in that process? And how long would you spend? If it, if it's a young dog and it's, you know, just starting to tree coons quite regular, uh, they got bad tree habits. I, I, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is the way a dog trees. I work on them pretty hard. I'll, I'll work on them a little bit with, you know, just correction around the tree and make them sit in one spot in tree. And maybe even if they're real bad, I'll, I'll use a little bit of a, you know, shock collar, just lightly bump them to, to keep them calmed down. But uh, I think that's something, if you don't hit it at a, at a young age, right when they first start doing it, uh, I don't think you can fix it. I think you can put a Band-Aid on it for a night or two, but you can't fix it. Um, that's, I the pups that I work with, I, I'm I always tie them. As soon as I walk in, I don't shine the tree. I don't squall. First thing I do is walk in. I tie them short so they can just put their front feet on the tree and I don't let them do no jacking and chewing. I think a lot of, a lot of that is man-made people just kind of, they're, they're more worried about taking a video and a picture and when I take more videos and pictures than anybody, but I make sure that dog's tied and don't let them create no bad habits before I go doing what I need to do. And like uh, speaking of bad habits, going back to trees and stuff, do you uh, just lead them pretty close and recut them? What's 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 the best way to stop one from picking up a habit like that? I, I'm a firm believer and practice how you you know I, every time I turn a dog loose, I'm I do it like I'm in a hunt. I turn them all loose together. I don't turn one dog loose before the other dog turn them all loose side by side if i'm hunting with somebody if i get there i tie them I, if i pull them off a tree I, I try to walk close to a minute i don't start a watch every time but i i roughly walk a decent ways off the tree and and recut them 
and if they if they do have a have a problem I like if I cut a dog straight ahead that's the way I like a dog to go if, if a dog goes to left or right I, I'm I'm pretty quick about correcting them I'll I'll have my I'll have my shot call ready and if they go to go left to right I'll bump them and get them going the way that I sent them and the just the repetition keep doing that over and over and they seem to catch on pretty quick and they did get to where they ain't wanting to whip and go back behind you wanting to go check that same tree out that's where that heart and desire comes in handy because if you're running a dog that hadn't got the go and hadn't got the heart first of all you're not going to have him but uh, mm-hmm. that i i think you can train on a dog that's got the heart and desire like you do but one that doesn't uh that's probably a big mistake yeah, if, if a dog can't take correction, and like I said, I, I've calmed down a lot more than what I used to be when I was younger, but uh, I'm still I'm still pretty pretty hard on a dog. I I don't I don't tolerate much nonsense and try to get them the best of their ability and just kind of keep them there. Kind of one last question on little money I have is how do you think he's stacking up as a reproducer versus big money? His pups really ain't old enough to really sit here and, you know, I mean, be a hundred percent, which it's just my opinion. But uh some of the things that I've seen off of him that's different than than big money is his pups has got a lot bigger mouse than what big money pups have. Uh some of them's got the what I would call the wow factor mouth. I mean, it makes you kinda of stop and that just come out of that dog. Uh they're they're a little bit smaller. Some of them the little money pups are a little bit smaller than the big money pups. I like a hound. I like a dog to, to be a good size, uh, good confirmation, good looks. A lot of people don't worry about that probably as much as what I do, but I look at it more than I do anything. And if and it, if it don't have a good confirmation to it, it's it's not going to hold up the night in and night out hunting. So I try to, when I pick a pup, I, I try to pick the best, the best built pup. For, you know what I mean? Not mostly the, the looks of them, but I like a better built pup. I got two out here now off a of little money. They're they're built good. I, I like I like him as good as anything I've had, but I'm gonna say he's gonna reproduce good, but I can't say that he's gonna reproduce better than what big money has yet. Now he might, but I'd have to see it to believe it. Boy, I'll tell you what, they've they've done mighty well. Kevin moving on to the bank. Boy, I've had the opportunity to hunt with him and I really liked him and uh it was a blessing to be on the final cast with you. And watch you win that hunt, you and old bank. And uh, we're going to let you tell the story because uh, it's your story to tell. But I was blessed to to be on the cast and, and watch it. And uh, you want to tell us a little bit about the final final cast? Yeah, it was it was a little bit of a rainy night. It was uh, we, we drove over and hunted some state land over there. Not too far, about 30 minutes from the club. And we turned loose and the two dogs they left barking and i never heard bank for a pretty good while and he finally opened up way left hand of everything else and i struck him uh got him treated in in there and we got about to him and uh believe it was marv marv kind of come in there around him and got and got split treed from him and went in there and bank had a coon and marv had a coon and then we had a walk i won't say we probably walked a mile mile and a half the frank uh, he was treated over and he had a coon. Well, he had 200 on his coon and I, I was sitting at 150 and we called timeout and didn't have a lot of time left 
in the cast. Uh, I can't remember exact, but it was down. 16 minutes and 32 seconds, the best of my knowledge. Yep, you're, you're probably right. We, I, I am. We, <laughs> we, we, uh, which I was probably sitting in the best place I could be sitting. I was, I was in last and there, uh, it was either go big or go home. You only, there was one lifetime opportunity to get to where I was. So we turned loose there and of course their dogs left barking and, and, and bank got down in the ditch and, and he got struck pretty quick too. He was, he was probably struck within 15, 20 seconds there. I hauled off and struck him. And everybody else kind of sat back after I struck, and they didn't strike. And Bank went down a ditch, and he went headed right-handed out of, out across of a, I believe it was just a grown-up field. He was kind of trailing out through there, and they all struck in. And uh, Marv gets treed down in front of us first, and he treed Marv, and I, I treed Bank, and then he treed uh, the right. other dog in there, Frank on deeper. Went to Marv. Marv had a coon that put him in the lead, and we went to Bank. Bank had a coon. That put me put me leading, and as long as Frank didn't have a coon, I won. Let, let me say over. something right there, if you don't mind. I yep. know it's your story, but when we turned loose there with that 16 minutes to go, I told my little buddy Landon, I said, I know it takes six casts in a row to win a world championship, but I think the most important bark Bank ever made in a competition hunt was when we turned him loose, and just like you said, he wasn't far, and he was smelling a coon. And you struck him. Uh, I, I'm satisfied you had in your mind if he barked, you was going to call him because when you got him struck, I, I think that was the winning of the call of the of the world championship for me because that was so impressive because you you had done thought that out like I'm sure everybody there, but uh, that was awesome. That was that yeah. was the call of the week. I think. I'd say I'd say you're exactly right. I, I know I had a. I know how I had a strike for a hunter and Tariq Coon, and I couldn't be beat by, by one of the dogs. You know, Frank could still beat me, but, I, you know, me and him would have been tied if he just struck for 50 and we went in sudden death. But I know pulling up to that woods that I need to be struck for a hunter. And uh, most of my dogs, when they when they open, they're, you can pretty much strike them. They're running the coon. They're, they really don't loose bark much, and they're more of a lower-end strike dog than what most people hunt. I, I normally get struck for 50 and a quarter a bunch, but uh, he treed there or got struck and went across that field and I treated him. He had a coon. We went to Frank and Frank was on a big pine tree and we never did find it. And that, uh, that's what sealed the deal for me. And I ended up winning the world. That's what I told Tyler a while ago. I said, uh, I knew that had to be a walk across there. And I'm going to ask you about that walk. But when uh, we got there to that tree, I remembered it was real thick, real bushy. Could have been five coons up there. And you passed by me and said, Ed, if you don't mind, hold old bank. I told Tyler when that eight minutes started, I was holding bank, a dog that some people had heard about. I said, when that eight minutes was over, I was holding the world champion. And I mean, <laughs> that was that was impressive to me. But on that walk over there, Kevin, and uh, what was going through your mind in that eight minutes of shine time? If if you could just kind of tell us for people that's never had the opportunity to, to be in a situation like that. On when we shine in Frank's tree. On the walk to Frank's tree, on, what was it kind of like? And then once the eight started, what was it kind of like? I I normally don't get nervous too much. I I used to bad. But uh, it kind of got to cost me, you know. You let your nerves get to get to running. You get to doing things you shouldn't do. You're just thinking too much. But 
that was probably the most nervous I've been on a cast. Uh, that that last 10 minutes or whatever, walking over to that tree and shining that tree, which it was just a couple hundred yards across another field. But, you know, you kind of get to thinking, well, I hope he ain't got a coon. And then you get to thinking, well, don't think that it is what it is. If it's if it's meant to be, it's it's meant to be. But when we shine that, when he when I seen the tree he was on, I felt pretty confident, you know, because he was on a pine tree, a great big pine thicket right there on that state land. And I kind of looked it over pretty good with my, my heat gun and I didn't see no heat. And I kind of felt I, I was relieved after about the first three minutes once I shined the tree because I, I felt pretty confident that he wasn't going to find it because I, I hadn't found nothing yet. And Lane kind of told me that the dog been missing a little bit and he said he just dropped the balls, kind of what Lane told me. And I kind of felt, felt good when he kind of said that, but uh, it was definitely nerve wracking there, you know, walking to that tree until I seen it. You know, you got a lot of things going through your head, and you know that's a big accomplishment that you know every coon hunter's dream is to either win the UKC World or the PKC World. And I was lucky enough to to do it at a young age there, and it uh, with a dog that I owned and bred right here at the house, and it was definitely a a good feeling. And you know something else that always impresses me about uh, the PKC World Hunts I've had the opportunity to be on, just like yours, when the whistle blowed and the World Championship was over, every one of those guys come to you, shook their your hand, congratulated you 100%, and they meant it. They knew the journey you had been on, and they knew uh, how tough it was. And they something about this PKC family. I'm telling you, there is what. Just tell me what you think about that. Oh, definitely the coon hunting community. We all kind of we're all bickering back, you know, bicker back and forth. And uh, but when the going gets tough and somebody needs help, there's definitely everybody pitches in. I've done a bunch of fundraisers for different people and raised money for youth events, and everybody's there to pitch in. But uh, you know, we all we all know the struggle that it goes to to keep a dog right and keep a dog healthy and, you know, fight through six rounds. And, you know, every year to world hunt it, it, one of the nights it's going to monsoon, it's going to rain. It's going to be hard to hear. You're going to be wet and cold. We all know what it's like to be out there. And it's definitely a, uh, we know what the other person's been through and we've all been through rough times and the coon hunt community definitely pitches in and, and helps out when, when, when it counts the most, I guess you could say. Absolutely. That uh, PKC family is something. I got a couple more quick questions for you before we move on. Uh, The first person you called when that cast was over, first couple people you called, how was that? I I know they had to be important to you for you to (laughs) call them. How did that go? I I called my wife. I was a pretty good family. They was back at the fairgrounds in the camper we rented. Uh, that was a good feeling, her and my son being there. And then, uh, next person I called was my dad, kind of talked to him there for a minute. And then, uh, I called my partner at the time with bank and big money and little money, Larry called him there. It was definitely all good feeling. So I kind of have a question and this has kind of been a question that's been asked a couple of times to different people that, you know, is are the hundred thousand dollar hunts taken away from the prestige of the world hunt just, and you do this for a living. So your idea might be a little different, but would you rather win the world hunt than the $100,000 Jarvis Humphrey Memorial hunt? 
Well, I, I believe uh, people get caught up in the money too much. I would rather win the private world hunt. I mean, it's it's a, it's a good feeling. Yeah, it'd be nice to win a hundred thousand when the world hunt only pays thirty. I honestly believe that PKC's kind of dropped the ball here a little bit. They've you know they've got a little bit of money hungry in my eyes. Uh, they're having way too many hunts. It's it's took the prestige completely out of everything. You know, next week you don't know who won what. And that's kind of, you know, in my business, you know, where I got a stud dog and, and different things, uh, the prestige is what helps people come to me to breed to my dogs and do things like that. If you don't have prestige, you don't have nothing, in my, in my opinion. And, you know, and I do it for a living. I mean, I, I can't, I can't, if I ain't making money, I ain't, you know, I mean, I can't provide for my family. But uh, you definitely have to have the prestige in it. And I think eventually... It's all starting to catch up. I think they're going to have to slow down and start having less hunts and have more quality hunts when they have the hunts. Only have so many big hunts a year, so there is some prestige behind it. Because in my opinion, as of right now, there there is no prestige in it. They're just it's it's just for the money. Everybody's going for the money, and that's the only thing they're worried about. But that's well, just my opinion. Oh yeah, everybody everybody gets an opinion. Uh, uh, changing uh, uh, hats on you there a little bit. If all of a sudden you wake up and you're the rule man for PKC, you can make any rule you want. You can add any rule you want or take out any rule you want uh, without calling anybody or voting. What is one or two rules you would change, Kevin? I'd probably go back about six years ago, Eddie. I'd, I'd get a rule book that was six years old, and I'd go with it. I'd quit changing everything. You're not ever going to make nobody happy. It's worked for years. I, my biggest thing is quit changing it. Uh, you know, everybody wants this no leash lock, and, you know, they're all talking about the hunter strike dogs. You know, you can't beat them if you're on the leash. I've, I've hunted that 280-some thousand you're talking about. I, I've won all that by packing quarter strike dogs, quarter and 50 strike dogs. You know, that that's not true. I mean, a lot of these people that's wanting to change the rules, they're not out here every weekend hunting, and, I think they changed them for the wrong reasons. They got a dog that suits this deal better than others, and they change it this week and then want to change it back, and you're not ever going to make anybody happy. So I'd go back to about six or seven years ago and pick an old rule book up, and that would be the rules, and I wouldn't ever change them. Boy, Kevin, I'm telling you, that's for, for me now, everybody got an idea, but that's about as good an idea as – as I've heard about that, I, I like that idea. I got another question for you is just like the Jarvis Humpers Memorial Hunt, me and you was at uh, and several other people, uh, who would have ever thought in one weekend in our sport that uh, it could be a prize of $467,000 in one weekend at a coon hunt? And w where do you think we're going? I mean, that was just awesome. Jarvis Humpers uh, had the vision. You remember, well, uh, like me and you laugh sometimes you wasn't born then, but you know, you pretty well could get a, a picture and a picture taken may get in the book, may not you get a little bitty trophy. And then Jarvis came along. So what do you think about that? I mean, I, I think, I think the bigger money hunts is definitely, uh, definitely good for the sport. And like I said, I, I'd love to win a hundred thousand and I, I got in the top 16 out there and I enjoyed myself and it was, it was a good run hunt, but I think, I honestly think that they should have just had one event. 
I think there should have been one sixty-four dog hunt, and whoever won that hundred thousand, it it had been something. And I'm not a firm believer of being able to split these events. I believe in a major hunt like that, hunting for a hundred thousand dollars. I believe there should be a winner. You hunt it off, which I understand it's a lot of money. It's a lot of life-changing money. And people say, well, when you get in it, you wish you'd had a had a vote for it. And I, like I said, I I made it to the top sixteen. I wasn't in the finals, but if I ever get in the finals or something like that, it, it won't be split. I don't care if my dog's on three legs or got a broken leg. I'm I'm hunting it. I just think that's the only way that you can get prestige is a winner. And I just feel that that's what's kind of hurt the sport a little bit is they have so many of these hunts and everybody's splitting and they're, they're, there's not a winner. I mean, there's four winners. And there, in my opinion, there shouldn't be four winners. There should be a first, second, third, and fourth. When you leave there, you know you hang your head high if you win. and You got a few bragging rights and uh, make on the front cover of the book. If you split something like that, I, I don't believe that you should you should be on the front cover of the book. I mean, you didn't win, you split. I mean, that's just my thoughts on it, and that's one of the biggest things I think where UKC is kind of starting to take over is you know they hunt their hunts and there there's a winner. They uh, they get a lot of advertisement out there, and uh, you get more prestige. Uh, you're not hunting for nearly the money that they're hunting for over there, but when you win something over there. People talk about it for, you know, for six months, a year. They know that you want it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so we'll kind of move along here to talking more about bank. Well, no, let me let me ask you this first before we do. So how did winning the PKC World Hunt stack up against winning the Youth World Hunt when you were a kid? I, I'd say that was kind of the same feeling because that was the first major thing that I won. Then I remember when I was a kid, it was down in Roar, Kentucky. Uh, it was the same weekend as the PKC World Hunt. Everybody come in that year. There was still a bunch of people there. And, you know, when I walked in the building with my dog, everybody was clapping and hooting and hollering. I think I was 13 or 14 years old. Uh, might even been a little bit younger than that. But uh, it, it was just a good feeling. You know, everybody standing up clapping and hooting and hollering. And, you know, I, I had to win uh, – I had to win forecast to win that. That's pretty good accomplishment. Something that I always wanted to do. And I made the front cover of the magazine uh, with me and my dad. But, you know, something that you never thought you would do as a kid, you know, looking at a pro hound, hey, I want to be on the front cover one day. And then here I am just a kid, you know, on the front cover with the with the world champion. Uh, I believe it was uh, Dave Fleming with uh, Wipeout Spec at year one to won the world hunt and then i was down below him with with my dog winning the youth world it was a pretty good feeling i mean yeah you only get a certain amount of years to be able to hunt in that yeah so yeah and that was that was the first year i ever hunted in it i won my i've I become a pkc member and uh won my hundred dollars that year and, and my dad and mom and my uncle uh my brother and cousin hunted in it down there and we all went down as a family and rented a cabin and uh, kind of made a little vacation of it down there and I ended up walking away way with the wind and you know it was, it was a pretty good feeling that you know all my family was there and done it at a young age you know yeah yeah for sure so and Mr. Eddie's kind of talked about bank me and him have uh all fair but he was telling me you know how bank styles a little different than big money and little money and 
So just tell me how you came about owning bank and then tell me, is it true if his style really is different from big money and little money, which I'm not saying Mr. Eddie's a liar. I, I know it's different. But yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Bank, bank's definitely a different style from them too. Uh, he, he's more of a, what I would call a trailing type of dog. Uh, he would work tracks up and trim and have them. Uh, his strongest point was, is he had about every coon he treed. You know, a lot of people talk about all oh, this dog's made 50, 60 trees in a row, had coons. Uh, it's hard for me that to believe, which I've hunted him a bunch and recutting him, hunting in the same spot. But right there, when I won the world hunt, right before the world hunt, I pulled that dog off of uh, right at 36 trees, and he had 35 straight coons in a row that was in cast and everything before before he made a tree. And it was it was a den tree. It got circled, but that was the first tree I pulled him off of that he didn't have a coon in that got plussed. And I think I won about 70-some thousand dollars right there in 30-some days of running hunts. But won the world. Uh, I won 10000 right before the world in a pro classic. Won the world hunt come home uh, a couple weeks later we had a uh, $4,000 pro classic here at the house and I won all three nights of it I believe he's the only dog that's ever done that too uh, so he won another additional six casts in a row and won another $30,000 lease off wintertime snow on the ground tree and coons so I would definitely say he's he's a different style because uh, my other dogs didn't trail none uh, he, he would go hunting as far as it took him to tree a coon and he would tree multiple coons if coons was on the ground moving, but he'd, he'd kind of beat and bang around and tree coons and have them. Uh, people think, oh, there ain't no way that dog's got a coon. He, he's trailed over for 30 minutes. You go over and he's got a coon curled up in the first fork of sleep. Well, uh, let, me, let me ask you this, Kevin. The first time you just take us through a little bit, I, I like to hear stories like this. First time you heard a bank, and then maybe the first time you saw bank, and then the first time you knew you wanted bank. Well, I uh, I bought him from Bradley uh, Kelly uh, up in Indiana. They come down and went hunting. Bank didn't look real good that night, and Bradley just kept on me, kept on me, wanting want me to buy him. And I hauled off and bought him, brought him home here, and I hunted him. And I, I seen what Bradley was talking about. I mean, he he was a coon career. He kind of didn't range out as far as I wanted him to range out. He kind of had a he kind of had a handle on him. He didn't want him want him leaving leaving the country. I saw I took the shock collar off of him, and I went over here about an hour from my house and hunting in some patch woods, and I'd make him leave in patches and go to other patches, just just loosened him back up. He was a natural coon treer. Uh, he had a bad problem of going back to trees. Uh, I had to work on him pretty good for that. But as far as the dog's natural coon treeing ability and, and a lot of the talent that he had, Bradley done all that. Uh, I'd have to give Bradley all the credit for that. I just, I just kind of tuned him up, knocked the edges off of him, and and broke him for going back to trees. And I, I went right to winning with him. He didn't suit me as far as you know, because I like a dog wild and crazy. But the dog produced so many coons. Me as a handler, I thought, man, there ain't no way this dog can't win. We kind of, me and Doug Blackwell, we kind of laughed. We just called him a country coon dog. Uh, he just kind of trailed around tree coons. He's what nothing flashy, nothing fancy. Uh, he's a good steady tree dog, but when you got to him, he had coons and that's, that's what made the dog win. Uh, he treated a lot of coons that other dogs didn't know was there and, and took his time and stayed out of trouble. 
Well, let me ask you this, because I would say people that's listening to this right now, a lot of youngsters, when you said you had to break him going back to trees, if you don't mind, uh, let's help some people right here. What did you have to do and how did you do it? And how, and I know every dog's different, but uh, give us a little bit of insight right there, Kevin. I, uh, which the dog was kind of messed up with a shocker. So, so I couldn't shock on him done for going back to trees. I, I had to do everything kind of leg action. I had to, I had to go back to old school. I had a, uh, me and dual Murphy hunted a bunch together at the time. He lives about two hours from me and he'd, uh, I'd let him walk him out through there. He'd, he'd walk him up there, you know, about a minute and he'd cut him loose. And when he come back, I, I'd wear him out, got him going. And then, then he kind of got to where, We'd hunt the same spot up there at Duels. He, uh, that's a bunch of state land, and we'll stay in one woods for for four or five hours. It's got a bunch of roads to it. We just we just keep cutting, and he would eventually end up an hour later. He'd end up on a tree done and made. So then I done had him far enough along. I I, I put a collar back on him, and I'd mark the trees on my Garmin. If he go back to him, I, I I'd bump him off them trees. He finally got a hang of it. It probably took me three or four months to get him completely over it, but. Once I got him over that, he he was fine, but it was definitely aggravating there for a little while. It was sure sure worth the effort, though. I'll tell yes, you that. it was. And you know, everybody likes a different type dog, but I'm a I'm a fan of Old Bank. I like I like that kind of dog, and uh, y'all did well with him. Kevin, I'll ask you a, a hypothetical question. Uh, it's not even on our list, but I'd like to know. If you, from your time in coon hunting, dogs you've heard about, dogs you've drawed, stuff like that, if I said, Kevin, what four dogs in the prime of their life, and I know this may take you a while to think of this, but what four dogs in the prime of their life, you're not competing against them, but would you like to watch work that you've read about, you've heard about, or you've seen? Probably one of my one of the ones which I hunted with him a bunch, probably one of my all-time favorites was Big D. I just liked his demeanor. I liked his looks. I liked his mouth. Uh, he was he was a touch wild. I hunted with him several times. Uh, I really liked him. He's probably one of my all time favorite dogs. Of course, I'd have I'd have to say Little Money. Little Money was probably he's probably one of my all time favorite dogs that I've liked. Uh, he'd have to be in my top five. Um, I really liked Clayton. I hunted with Clayton some. I really liked him and the Slim Willie dog that. Uh, Joe Gross owned there for a while. I think Wipeout Slim Willie, I believe, is what they called him. Uh, I really liked him. He he was he was tight on the ground and be sitting through that country in short order and having cone street. So and kind of getting back to a bank, was it a tough transition for you as a handler to go from a dog like Big Money or Little Money to a dog like Bank that's going to tree a lot of coons behind dogs? Not really. I mean, because. It goes back to kind of what James always told me at first, the you know, just striking through your dog. Now, and it, it did take me a little bit for, like, far as pleasure hunting. Uh, I'd kind of want to get in there and kind of run him out of some spots that I felt that he's he's spending too much time in there, should have done had a coon treed. But uh, then you go to hunting other dogs, and they they wasn't producing coons at the time neither. So I, ju- I just left him alone. Uh that's one of the deals where I was telling you there, I've kind of learned over the years, uh, wanting too much out of a dog. So I kind of just left him be there. And that That's what made it. If I'd have had him when I was younger, I probably would have ruined him. Uh, but where I was, where I was older and done, done some different things with dogs and it wasn't successful. 
I just left him be his natural self and and I'm glad that I did because it, it put me in a winter circle and it put a bunch of money in my pocket. And how much slower, I mean, and it's not a bad thing hunting slower, but I mean, how much slower did he hunt than, than like little money and big money? I know you said they were like, or little money was a freak when it came to that. Big money was around nine miles an hour on a Garmin. What Which, about? With bank, the bank, the biggest thing with him would depend on the night. If, if Coombs was on the ground moving, he moved as good as big money did. He's, He's, you know, nine, ten mile an hour on the Garmin. But, you know, on a bad night where Coons wasn't moving and, you know, hitting old feeder tracks, I'd say he was an average of four to five mile an hour on a Garmin. But, you know, he's he's running tracks and training them and not just flying through the country. Did you ever see big money break a track down like you're talking about bank doing and really work it out? No. No, no he, he, he tried it some, a little bit here and there, but nothing – didn't make no habit of it. I would definitely say Bank gets his more of his trailing traits from uh, his mom, uh, Mark McCorder, owned the the Tramp female, and he he's owned that whole line of dogs his whole life, and uh, they're that's kind of the way they are. I mean, they're they're trailing type of dogs at trees coons and highly accurate. I mean, they're they're good dogs, but they're more what I would call an old older timey coon dog, and he's more of a Mark, Mark's a pleasure hunter, a good friend of mine, and he uh, he brought her here and bred her, and, and Bank was the only one in that litter that, that was that color, that dark color. So I would have to say, you know, most, most of his traits probably come from his mother's side as far as the, the way that he trails coons and trees them. Yeah, and for the people that are listening that haven't, that haven't seen the huge difference between Bank and Little Money and Big Money, you can just go to your the big money Facebook page and you can see the difference. I mean, it's night and day. Yeah. It, the color. I mean, just everything's different and banks a good looking sucker too. I like that dark color and everything. And, and we were talking about banks mama and the cult or his name and the, uh, the color and all. And I, I looked at banks pedigree on the bottom side and in three, three generations, there's no dog that I recognize. And that's kind of weird to me. Yeah. His, his, uh, like I said, Mark Mark owned him. He he's more of a UKC hunter. He puts titles on all of them, but uh, all them dogs was from about an hour from here, um, over in Shelbyville, Indiana. All them guys over there. That's you know that's all their kind of line of dogs, just backyard breeding. And that's another thing. You know, people call me. You think this will work? You think that'll work? And uh, I probably shock a bunch of people because I I tell them boys breeding is like playing poker. You don't know what you're going to get dealt. I mean, you could have the same litter and, and have different traits out of, you know, three or four different pups, and that cross can bleed completely, totally different. And this, you just don't know what you're going to get. And this was one of them deals where a lot of people thought, well, that that might not work. And, you know, it was, it wasn't one of your crosses that people was going to give $1,000, for because there ain't no big-name dogs in that litter. And, you know, that right there goes to show you that that don't mean nothing. You said you hunted with his mama, but was there any other ones on the bottom you had hunted with? No, I, I hadn't hunted with them, which, you know, I've heard stories of all of them, you know, how they treat coons and uh, done a different, you know, a bunch of different stuff. I've known them guys since I've been kids, and I've been around them dogs, but I was a lot younger and didn't really hunt with them, you know what I mean? But uh, I've, I've hunted with his mom several times, and, and she she's a coon treer and likes to be by herself, and but she, she's an all-around, you know, good good dog, good pleasure dog to hunt and peaceful. And they, that's the way they described the other ones to me, too. But I, I didn't be a high – I've seen them in person, 
which the dogs is older, but I, I never hunted with them. Do you like a dog like Bank more than a dog like Big Money now? As you getting older in age, or or as you've seen no. more? No, I, I still I still like that wild and crazy. I, I like a dog that can tree coons. Uh, the charm female that I've been hunting, she she can tree any kind, and she can tree layups, and she can be blowed in there a mile and tree coons. I, I like a dog like that, or fast and flashy. And if I had a pick, no, I mean I, that's what I like. It's probably what I like till the day I die. But if I got another bank that come in here and and showed me that he 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 was one of the ones like Eddie was talking about. How long do you give him before you get rid of him? He he was a dog here at the house. He he never aggravated me. You never knowed he was here. Uh, put him in the truck. He wasn't aggravating hunting him. That was probably one of the biggest reasons he stayed here as long as he did because he wasn't aggravating. And when I went to him, he had coons. So that's what made him stay around here. The longer I hunted him, the more I seen his ability to treat coons when other dog wasn't treating coons. But if he'd have been aggravating, he'd have been gone quick, and I would have never known exactly what he was. But that's that's probably what's his biggest savior is is as calm and as level headed as he was is one of the main reasons why he stayed here. Yeah, kind of out of sight, out of mind, huh? Yep, yep. And and like I said, I, I enjoyed hunting him. He tra- he treated a lot of coons, and you know, and he went and I went straight to winning with him. And some dogs just have winning ways. They they know what they got to do to win, when they got to do it, and it's almost like Bank had a scorecard in his head. I kind of always laugh because he never blowed a cast out of the water. But when the smoke cleared, tree me in here at the end of the hunt. If I got a coon, I win. About every every cast I've ever won with that dog come down to the last tree. I got this coon, I win. I mean, just just go ahead and write me a check. All I got to do is go in here and find it. That was his strong point. He he knew what he had to do when he had to do it. And, you know, we've, we've talked about with just us sitting around that it's amazing sometimes you'll see a good dog. But there's only one small problem. That dude's not a winner. Tree coons right and left and just impress everybody they go with. But they're not people, a winner. What what people, is the answer? People tell me people tell me all the time I'm crazy when I say this, and you guys will probably think I am too. And and like I said, Little Money's one of my all time favorite dogs. But he was a dog that couldn't seal the deal. He he could get you to the top six. I've been in the top six of the nationals super stakes got him high up in the world hunt he could not seal the deal when when the going got tough uh he'd be out of pocket or he'd tree in the ground or uh down at the truck hunt he 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 looked absolutely unbelievable at the truck hunt final cast he ain't never run a hog in his life runs a hog for 30 minutes and then comes back and trees two coons just bam bam and i end up getting beat by quarter by major it's just like he found a way just to kind of get me there and just kind of just hang me when I got to the finals. Uh, that was the one of the biggest things that frustrated me with him a bunch is he was such a good dog, uh, eat up with ability, but he had to touch. He just had just a hair too much crazy in him, and he couldn't hold it together for six six rounds. Well, well, let me ask you this, and this is kind of going back to the same question, but if somebody said, okay, what – what is the main difference between a competition hound and a pleasure hound? And we, part of that answer we know is got to have that king. But if somebody asked you, Kevin, what is the difference between a competition hound and a pleasure hound? What would be your answer? 
I would say the only difference is if it's if it's a, what we call a true pleasure dog, you know, ghost hunting, trees coons, keeps coons treed. I'd say the only difference is, is who owns it, how it was trained. Uh, you know, some people uh, they don't care if they pull off this tree and turn it loose and it goes to another dog. They they don't care if it does that for just a pleasure hunter or if he meets you off the tree a little bit. They don't they don't care. My opinion, a uh, a true pleasure dog that trees coons. I think if it's handled the right way, I believe it could go win anything. You know, and I believe Bank. If anybody's ever hunted with Bank, uh, they would say he's you know he's a true pleasure to hunt. Uh, trees coons as he comes to him, and I just kind of te- you know tweaked him there just a little bit when I first got him, and and made him do a few little different things than what that boy wanted him to do as far as being able to handle him and not leave woods and stuff like that. So I don't, I really don't think there's a whole lot of a difference, Eddie, if, as long as the dog would get, if the dog would get handled for the rules. I mean, cause the rules that we make, you know what I mean? For, for the hunts is the only difference. That That's a, that's a great answer. It really is. Uh, because kind of the way you were talking, you know, you, it seemed like bank was the kind of dog that found a way to win, but little money was one that found a way to lose. Mm-hmm. almost and then, yep and he, you know and he done a bunch of winning and i mean when he won it it was flashy i mean it, it was mind-blowing i I treat four or five coons that you're one or you're two and you just think there ain't no way that dog could get beat and then i'd get there to the finals and turn him loose and he'd be out of pocket just be gone and bank i always had him he he was always treating here and he was he was always had a coon when i got to him just the six never caught him just he just found a way. I mean, Bank was put in a quarter of the hunts. Bank was pushed for a year and won a hundred thousand dollars. Little Money was pushed for five years and won fifty fifty five. I mean, you know, and if you hunted them side by side, night in and night out, uh, you you would pick Little Money, Little Money, Little Money. But he just could could not seal the deal when you got there. Where where Bank did. So. Are y'all offering bank at stud now? Yeah, yeah, he's a public stud. He has been probably for the last year. Uh, I hadn't qualified for the uh, everything. I had truck tickets and stuff on him after I won the world, and I hunted him in a truck hunt and placed third with him, and then right after a truck hunt, I opened him up for public stud. And you, you kind of touched on this earlier, but uh, there's a couple pups off of him you've seen showing a little promise. Yeah, there's uh there's one litter that's about a year old. Uh, some of them uh, are starting to show up, and then there's a litter that's 11 months old, and they're they're really starting to crank. Uh, me and my buddies got one together that that I really like, and then there's a female that's uh, about two hours from here that's really starting to show up, and then there's several seven eight month old pups out there that's starting to tree their first coons and really starting to tree cage coons and uh showing a lot of interest big good looking dogs with big mouths and uh the feedback i'm getting they got a lot of drive they're not standing around your feet they're hunting a lot of the same feedback that i've got back from you know big money and little money pups and which which i think that kind of goes back to what i talked about earlier you know natural traits you know i've been breeding natural ability into them you know natural dogs and natural dogs so their pups are natural and I know they're they're still young, of course, but are they? Is anybody? Are the are, is the feedback you're getting that they are more of a trailing type dog? Uh, no, I really couldn't. The ones that I 
which I said there's only there's only a handful of them. Yeah. But I, I couldn't say that for sure. The one the one I got now uh, that I own half of, he's he's not a trailer. He's a he's a blow through the country, uh, tree coons type of dog. The female, I believe, she'll trail some, but not not a bunch. So I can't say that they're going to be or not. Which I'd say there's going to be some because you know he's a dominant reproducer of his color. So I would say that he's going to you know be dominant and a good track dog too because of his looks. Yeah, I, I saw a picture that you had posted, and it was of. I think it was little money and a puppy off little money and a big and bank and a puppy off a bank and that puppy off bank looked just like him. Yeah, he he throws he throws three or four pups in each litter that's you know almost to a T to him. Solid blanket back with brown legs and just a little bit of white on her feet and chest. Is it important to you to to hunt what you breed, Kevin? And did that kind of start with big money? Yeah, and. Uh, you know, which I, I still hunt several different dogs off of, off of different, different stuff. And there's good dogs in every, in every breed, and every color. But, uh, far as me, if, if they stay here, uh, it's going to be something off, off of them. Cause that seems to suit me the best. I've bought several dogs and, and re hunted them up and resold them. That's, that's, you know, doing some of the most winning out there right now, but, uh, I'm not colorblind, you know what I mean? If if I see something good and I believe I can get it bought and, and work it a little bit, I'm going to hunt it up, and, and that's where I make a lot of my money at reselling some of these dogs. Uh, the other professional hunters that's going to push them into hunts, why I got, you know, my main dogs here at home that, that I'm hunting and I'm I'm promoting. Yeah, that's awesome, and it's it's cool to see that you, you, you're hunting what you uh, what you breed. You know, I, you know, and I get I get a lot of satisfaction out of it myself. You know, like you know, what I was talking about earlier. You know, uh, the the publicity that you get out of it. You know, if if I win something with somebody else's dog, I mean, yeah, it's 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 great for me to win it, but it it don't it don't hit as home as much. You know, because it's not something that I've that I put a lot of sweat and blood into to to do myself. Because you know, everybody can go buy a dog and win with it. Uh, if you got money, you can go get a dog and you can win. But very few people is is bred, raised, and trained, and and won what I've won with my own dogs. Uh, I think that's one of my biggest accomplishments that I feel good of uh, and about is is that it's a you know my line of dogs that I'm doing it with. Well, does hunting your line of dogs help you as a handler? As far as you've kind of seen, you know. Yeah. You know what yeah, I'm saying? I, mean, I know. Yeah, I know what I can get by with with them. Uh, you know, my dogs are pretty hardy. Uh, they can take correction. They can they can take hard hunting. Uh, if I like a dog, I hunt it hard. If I don't like a dog, I ain't gonna hunt it. So I've been bad in the past about hunting dogs too hard, and they can't take it. You know, of course they break down. Which I've been lucky with my line of dogs. I can hunt them every night of the week and they look good or I cannot hunt them and they still look, you know, fairly decent. But for the most part, my dogs, if, if I'm, if I own them and they're off of my dogs, I, I can hunt them. And it seems like the harder I hunt them and kind of get that edge knocked off of them, the better they look. So that's something that I know with my line of dogs, I can get away with where other dogs, you kind of got to tiptoe around them and make sure they're fresh and feeling good and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, the reason I asked that is Wimp Aaron actually brought that up in the interview I did with him. He was saying how, you know, 
line breeding those dogs or breeding those dogs and hunting the same line, you know, he might see something that the grandma did and he knew how to correct that, you know? Yeah. So he, he just that's, went about the same way. Yeah. That's something I ain't never did much of line breeding and stuff like that. I've not did much of that. I've, I've never been a big fan of that. Cause I I've seen that go both ways. You get the good qualities and the bad qualities. And, uh, that's just something that I've not, really did which a lot of my dogs are still young so i ain't had to do much of that because there's so many young dogs still out there out of him that i ain't had to worry about trying to get back to what what he was is because i'm still i guess i'm still getting fruit off the same tree i ain't going to his offspring yet yeah yeah and that that that's true and mr Ray, do you have anything before we move on to the family uh, no, about bank no, or anything uh, else but i'll just ask you a couple questions i'd like to know kevin is it important to have a handle on a dog i know you're young as i get older that handle becomes more important do you value a handle or not for the most part i don't uh now i do have a young dog here that's a one-year-old spring and i did put a handle on him first dog i put a handle on in a long time uh just for the simple fact was that he crosses water bad uh, he's a bad swimmer, uh, so I put a handle on him so I could get him back. But for the most part, I don't have a handle on him. I got another question. If somebody said, Kevin, for fun in this sport, fun, raising pups, starting young dogs, uh, what's the answer to that? Uh, just just to enjoy yourself or, With or your what, dogs. I, what I like. Yeah, would With, you rather – do you like raising litters of puppies from little bitty ones or do you like starting dogs or what's your favorite? I like kind of which my wife and son does the most part as far as raising a litter. And then when they get up to about three to six months old, I, I like messing with them uh, with cage coons and land drags because it's something I can do in the daytime with my son. Uh, and I enjoy seeing him mess with them. And my wife enjoys doing it with us. And uh, then that next step coming – coming from tree and cage coons to going to the woods if they ain't got a real big motor and just natural about blowing in there and going hunting i struggle as a handler uh as training a dog like that so i sell a bunch of them at six and seven months old that i just get aggravated with that end up being good ones and i end up i bought several of them back two or three months later once they kind of got them over that little deal there but uh so I would say my best part is, you know, messing with them with, you know, cage coons and stuff like that as, at a young age would be my most enjoyable part. And do you get some self-satisfaction out of that, you know, raising that puppy from a – or raising that dog from a puppy and then raising it up and seeing it treating its own coon, knowing that it came from your line of dogs? I mean, how much self-gratification do you get from that? Oh, I mean, it's it's a bunch, and I've – I've had several dogs here and and I get, you know, good satisfaction out of dogs that, you know, that I've put several months into and I've ended up selling for good money to other people that ain't out of my dogs. I I enjoy seeing them win and succeed too, you know, cause it's, you know, it, it's a lot of, a lot of aggravation and, you know, up and down the roads and sleepless nights and, uh, you know, training a dog and putting a lot of effort into, and even though I haven't had that dog and, you know, several months or sometimes even a year, it's still, you know, hey, I had that dog, you know, if, if I wouldn't have got it, where would it have been, you know, because there's a lot of important parts in a, in a dog's life, you know, if you don't, when they first start, if you really don't put a lot of effort into them or if they pick up some of them bad tree habits that we was talking about earlier, I mean, 
that dog might be a great dog, but if somebody lets him jack and chew and you can't ever fix that, he can't ever win a hunt in some time. Coonhunting University is brought to you by Superior Light Company. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout at nighthunters.com. If you're in the market for a new light, do not overlook Superior. They make the best light in the business. The Hellcat Max Flat Dark Earth Edition is awesome. Come standard with the new and improved high-intensity green laser. Come standard with the newest design and dual walking light modules, offering the brightest walking lights currently available on the market, bar none. And it comes with your choice of red or true amber or double red color module technology. The Hellcat Max new module design reduces weight without sacrificing burn time or brightness, resulting in an overall weight of just 20 to 24 ounces, depending on your cap selection. The Hellcat Max offers the newest battery technology, which allows for five hours of continuous main beam burn time on the highest setting and over 10 hours of highest auxiliary light settings. All controls can be found on one easy nine positions click switch and all superior lights come with a two-year warranty are made right here in the usa so check out superior lights use coupon code chu podcast at checkout at nighthunters.com thank you to mr jamie mr sam at superior lights for supporting coonan universe podcast and making this podcast possible so i ask all the listeners if you could please go over there and support superior lights Use the exclusive discount code that is only available to Coonhunt University podcast listeners, CHU Podcast. Superior, step up to the max. Now, back to the show. So that's a, that's a lot. I've seen a lot of dogs that was good, great dogs that wasn't handled right at a young age, and that that's what stopped them from winning something great one day. And you were, you were kind of talking about how your wife and your, your son care for them until they're three or six months old. You know, do they... Do they spend a lot of time with them, messing with them, playing with them as puppies? And how much do, do you think that goes into them being successful later on? Oh, it's, it's a, you know, because once, once my wife and boy gets done messing with them, you know, their leash broke and we haul them to town. They're over getting sick and, uh, you know, we take them on walks and they jump over creeks and learn how to crawl fences before you ever take them to a wood. So, you know, you're out there, you got, you got half the battle done done with. You ain't dragging him around. He ain't barking, you know, on a creek because he don't want to cross it. They cross him. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of mess up. They keep a pup in the kennel until it's six, seven months old and pull it out and spec results. Well, it ain't nothing but a kid. I mean, it, it don't have a clue what, what needs to be done. And it's scared of this and scared of that. And that makes a big difference, I believe. That's That's one of the most important parts before they start training is just to be handled and, and have sense when you mess with them. Yeah. And you actually hit the nail on the head. Cause I, my next question was going to be, you know, people say that that dog didn't make it, but that dog sat in a pen until it was eight months old, you know, from eight yeah, weeks that, old, that, eight months old, never got messed with, had no maturity, you know? Yeah. And it's, you know, like, uh, I've seen several pups, you know, that we mess with, you know, a lot of pups at six months old are still wanting to play and they got a lot of puppy in them. But when you mess with them as much as what we mess with them, that a lot of that puppiness is out of them. They're done starting to become a, you know, they got their head on them and they ain't as worried about running over and playing dog because they're more worried about what I'm wanting it to do. Uh, they know what I done kind of expect out of it to, as far as leash, you know, walk on a leash and, come to me when I call for you and things like that. And that one that's been in the pen for six months, it barks and carries on. You can't handle it. 
that makes a big difference with them. Yeah, yeah, I I, I completely agree. Let's move on to uh, what it seems like is the most important part about your dog's training, because you just mentioned it right there, is your family, right? <laughs> so yeah. t- talk about talk about your family, uh, Kevin, and, and how are they involved in the hunting and the bench shows? I know we just talked about they kind of raise and lay the foundation for those puppies, but uh, just talk a little bit about that, because I think that's real interesting that you get the whole family involved. Yeah, you know, and that's just kind of how I was raised. We growing up, uh, I got a brother uh, that's 11 months younger than me, and then I got a sister that's 16 years younger than me. And uh, my mom and dad, we never we never went to babysitters. We always stayed as a family together, and we went on vacations together. And that's kind of uh, a big part on how I've raised my son. Is me and my wife, we stay together, and she stays at home and and does things with him. We don't have to worry about leaving him at a babysitter and uh we make sure that you know he's raised the way we want him to be raised and not the way somebody else is you know maybe treating him at daycare or something like that but uh my wife's a a a big part of several youth hunts here around the house and uh she's big into the show dogs and that's kind of how we met and got together was was through the bench shows and she hunted with me some and uh that's that's a big big thing that means a lot to me is family well that's sure a blessing buddy and how old is that young and now i remember seeing him when he was so little and then when he went through that stage i told you he was going to have to get him a face shield and hard hat and knee pads yep. and elbows because i remember buddy he enjoys himself yep he, he's five years old he'll, he'll be six in august lord have mercy time flies and uh, back to the youth hunts now. Do you, you want to talk a little bit about your wife's youth hunt she has coming up? You were telling me about. Yeah, she's uh she's got a the Indiana State Youth Championship is uh, April thirtieth. Uh, it's right here in Liberty, Indiana. Uh, this is the first year she's took over it. They've uh, with COVID and everything, they haven't had it in I think a year, maybe two years, and she's kind of took over and. Uh, we've raised a little bit of money so we can get some trophies and prizes and stuff. And uh, so that should be a, a, a decent turnout. And then uh, June the 4th uh, at Liberty, Indiana, we got the Hannes Creek youth hunt. And this is actually the same youth hunt that I hunted in the very first time, I very first hunt I ever hunted in. Uh, and I got fourth in. This is, this is the same hunt. Uh, she's picked it up. She's been doing it for a couple of years now. And, uh, she took it from like a two dog show, you know, two or three kids showing and a couple kids hunting. Now she's having anywhere from 40 to 50 dogs show. And we've been having about 20 dogs hunt in the hunt. And it, it's been growing every year. And, uh, she, she works real hard to get donations and put everything together. That That is absolutely great because I'm telling you, uh, we just finished up ours down here. And it's rewarding for the youngsters and their families, and it's rewarding for us. Uh, I know as we finished ours up, it was 4 o'clock in the morning. Everybody had been there Friday night and all day Saturday Saturday night and uh, wore to a frizzle, and we're making plans for next year. And it don't get no better than that. And that's the way she is. She's She works from the day it quits to the day it starts getting stuff. And every time she sees a deal, she's buying this and buying that. and 
uh, it's definitely great to see all the, the looks on the kids' faces that get to come and participate in the things. And they all, every kid leaves with something uh, when they leave. So that's a, that's a good hunt to come to and for the kids to enjoy themselves. You know, I've, I, I believe our youth hunts are really growing just like that. And uh, since we've had ours, we've been contacted by people, some more people that's had some questions. And we've always told them, yes, sir, buddy, we'll be glad to share anything we have. But I do believe that's on the rise, Kevin. I really do. Without the youth, you ain't got nothing. That is a true statement, buddy. And uh, ours, you know, was we... We have people there that share the gospel, the safety of uh, guns and stuff like that. And, I mean, food and prizes and just the kids' faces. And, I, and I'm going to just add this. There was a young man there this weekend, and we had a bicycle to give away. We had two bicycles, a drawing. And this uh, young lady, she wins the first one. She's tickled to death. This youngster wins the second one. He comes up to the stage, and I'm expecting to be turning flips. But he comes up and he says, buddy, could you do me a favor? I said, I hope so. What do you need, bud? He said, would you give that to my little brother? I said, uh, yes, we can. He said, and if I win anything else, would you give that to my brother? I said, yeah, we sure can. And I mean, that was just a, that was a touching moment, you know. Yeah, most most kids don't have a, have a heart at that young age. They're more worried about themselves than anything else. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, you, you were talking about your son's, uh, age now. Is he, is he going hunting with you any? Uh, a little bit. He has been with me. He's, he really don't like going at the night and during the nighttime, we get out here in the daytime and, and wallow through the creeks and do different things with the pups. But as far as hunting at nighttime, he's, he's not real interested in it. He says, uh, he says my dogs go too far. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th I think it's awesome that he's he's going to have an opportunity in a couple of years to be able to win the same hunt that you won, you know, when you were coming up. I mean, that's just awesome. And your wife, back to her bench show, and, you know, I mean, I, I think a, maybe if, I'm sure a lot of people know this, but some of them won't, is that a bank actually was a the dual grand or dual champion at the uh, Autumn Oaks, right? Yep, yep. Well, I hunted him and won my cast. uh I, I treat a coon and uh i think they were only our cast but uh treat a coon he won the cast and then she showed him the, the next day and won won the whole walker part in the dual grands there's not many dogs that can say that they they can hunt like that and still show you know not no. many people do that i mean that's something that's really impressive it means you have a well-built dog you know yep and then then last year uh another dog of my buddies michael lester he had a dog off of big money. He actually won the whole the whole shooting match. He won the overall deal in the dual grands. Uh Big Easy was his name. Uh Michael Lester and uh owned him. That's awesome. That really is. Well, you just won something what last weekend, uh a big hunt last weekend, didn't you, Kevin? Yeah, it's just it, it's just a deal we have every spring here at our local club, uh their Liberty Coon Club, uh they call it the spring classic. Uh, I won it both nights with the charm female that I have. Uh, it wasn't nothing super big, but uh, I think they hunted about 40 dogs in two nights. Hey, hey, it's hard to win a cast. I know you've won the world championship and everything, but uh, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's mighty nice when a fella can win a cast, much less a championship. 
Yes, it is. You're kind of one of the guys that uh, you kind of go back and forth between UKC and PKC. You know, we don't you don't see that a whole lot. Not at the not at the uh, local level like you do, especially. You know, some guys might hunt in the the world hunt and the PKC world or the UKC world and go back and forth. But usually they'll stay local to one. Can you kind of talk about uh, the differences that you see in the two and maybe? Uh, I don't know. We don't want to talk bad about one or the other, you know, but uh, maybe talk about the differences. Uh, probably the biggest differences that I see is a little bit with the dog power, just just the type of dogs that people hunt. I mean, it's it's definitely a uh, a bigger difference. Like PKC dogs, you know, they're they're more to the country, treated with canes, quick, fast, and in a hurry. And UKC dogs are kind of more of a what I would kind of call consider a pack dog. Uh, they kind of pack up a little bit and they want to move spots and their dogs really don't recut much off of trees. And that that's really the only differences that I, that I've seen the biggest differences that I've seen in them. Yeah. And that would be more the local level, right? Yeah. The, the local level. I, cause I, cause I really ain't, I've hunted in autumn oaks one time last year was the first year I hunted in it. And, I've not hunted in a lot of the bigger level UKC hunts to uh, to really tell you on that. Like, like I hunted in the UKC world this year, it was kind of the people that I drawed in it was people that I would have drawed over at the PKC world hunt uh, at the at the bigger level. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of what what kind of different about you, I think, is that you know you hunt at the local level instead of the bigger. You know, most people. If they transition, it's at the bigger level, you know, or the higher you know, and, level. Yeah, and and a lot a lot of people like to see these titles on these dogs and different things like that. And I just kind of hunt the local hunts, you know, to support them. And normally my wife will be there showing, and and I'll go and I'll hunt and uh, things like that. But that's kind of why I hunt the local local UKC hunts. And you know, now they have the tournament of champions where you got to get your your five wins and. I just hunt around here around the house to get my, my five wins to get qualified for that. But, uh, that's probably one of the biggest reasons why I hunted them here around the house is just to get my five cast wins. Kevin changing gears just a little bit. I know your son's only five and he's not ready for the night hunts, but if a fellow looked at your resume, as we've talked about all the things you've accomplished. And he said, I have a son or a daughter. And I'm wanting to get them started in this sport, and I'm wanting to teach them the right way to do well. How? What steps would you give them on starting their youngster to compete? And uh, like the scholarships, the PKC Youth uh, World Championship. I mean, there's uh, scholarships out there that's amazing to help people go to college. But just the time in our sport. So I guess my question: What would you tell a parent? the steps uh, I, w- I would say i would say the biggest thing is to to make sure the kid really wants to do it i mean if the kid don't want to do it don't don't force them to do it because i've seen that a bunch people make their kids do it because they want them to do it and they just ain't into it but if the kid really wants to do it let the let the kid do it and if you know get it a dog that he likes or she likes and, and hunt it and then get to know that dog and and then kind of teach them the rules a little bit as they go on and just kind of guide them through, not really so much just bulldog it and take over and 
and do it theirself, you know, and get out here in these casts and, and kind of help these kids, you know, call their dog and stuff. It, it, it's about the kids and uh, some of these youth hunts that I run, I, I kind of run into a little bit of some of the parents, you know, worried about the kid winning and they're helping the kid call the dog. And uh, it's about the kids. I mean, let them go out there and have fun. And uh, if you're wanting to compete, wait until next weekend and can get out there with the adults and compete with them. Don't, don't be out there with the kids and competing. That, that'd be my biggest thing that I've seen with some of the stuff that I've been involved in. Yeah. And just, you know, real quick before we sign off, I was going <clears> to, <throat> this is kind of Mr. Eddie's question, but I was going to ask it. So what are your goals now for you and, and your family going forward in coon hunt? Uh, just, really kind of stay on the same track that we're going, uh, you know, which my wife, she's, she's qualified. She's going to try to get qualified here soon for the uh, UKC world bench show. And, uh, I'm fixing to try to get qualified for the UKC world hunt and, uh, just trying to get qualified again this year for all, all the upcoming hunts and, and give, and give it a little run again, just see what we can come up with. Yeah. And that, that's awesome. D- and does does she have any dogs that she just shows, or do all yeah. y'all's dogs that y'all show hunt? No, she she's got she's got uh, she's got two blue ticks that she just strictly shows. Uh, she won Autumn Oaks with one for the blue tick breed, and then she won the UKC World Park Show with with the Walker breed or with the blue tick breed. Um, them are her strictly her show dogs. Hmm. Okay, that's that's pretty cool. I, I didn't know that. She she kind of shows mine at, at the local level, you know what I mean, where it's not as not as uh competitive, you know. But uh when it gets to the major level, she's got two blue ticks she shows full time. Hmm. Okay, that's cool. We, we need to have her on one day and talk about the showing of the dogs and stuff. I think that'd be a good podcast too. You know? Yeah, I'd say she'd be interested. She like I said, she's she's been very successful. She's won the uh, she's won the world show, the, the ACHA world show the year that I won the night hunt. And then she also won the AKC women's coon hunt with little money that they had. So, I mean, she, she does it. She does a lot to herself. Wow. Okay. I, yeah, that's awesome. That really is. And keeping you lined out the main thing she does. Yeah. And she, uh, she's definitely, her and his boys definitely calmed me down. Cause I, I used to be wild as a Jack and I didn't have as level head on me as I used to have as what I got now. I'm thankful every day for them too. Absolutely. The good Lord's blessed y'all with a family, especially a family that spends time together and enjoys what y'all do together. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I really do think that that is a, uh, that's cool. And that that's the most important thing that you've said all day. I think is that, uh, how y'all do it as a family. And I, it's great to see that it really is. Do you have anything to, well, one more question. Does she have her own dog? She hunts with too uh not so much anymore she's got an old dog out here that she's raised from a pup which uh i think he's 12 years old now we only hunt him about one time a year but she's not really replaced him yet she had a she had a pup out here that she sold uh here a couple months ago that she spent a lot of time with that uh end up the price got too good and she got to where she couldn't really hunt him the way he needed to be hunting and and end up selling him but so she does still fool with them, still hunt some with me, but not like she used to. So you have anything, Mr. Before we, you got anything else? Or are you good? I'm Mr. good Eddie? on the questions. Okay. I may add something there at the end. Uh, you got anything else to say, Kevin, before we sign off? Anybody like shout out or any, you know, whatever, just whatever you want to say. 
man, I, I think I've about covered it all, really. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, for me, you know, I just, I thank you for coming on here and giving your time. We're almost at an hour and forty five minutes, which is great. I mean, uh, we got a lot of good content. And I know people that are really going to enjoy this because you were heavily requested. Um, I know you said people don't like to hear what you say most of the time, but I'm gonna tell you, there's a bunch of people that do want to hear what you got to say. I promise <laughs> you that because they've told me they they want to hear it. So, and yeah, I can't I name everybody. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you contacting me, and uh, I, I grade it and what you're doing is definitely going to help the sport, you know, letting it, letting people know what's going on. And cause a lot of people, you mentioned coon hunting nowadays, they don't even know what that is. So they listen to this stuff and you know, they'll, they'll get a little bit of an idea of what's going on and how much time we actually spend with the dogs and, uh, how much they're, they're not dogs or family to us. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Kevin, well, the good Lord willing, I'll see you in the, at uh, nationals pretty soon i'm sure you're planning on being there yep that's that's the, that's the only event that i haven't won with pkc that's the nationals and i don't know if the, this year would be my year but hopefully it comes soon boy wouldn't that be something well 10 10 on that well look here uh we sure appreciate you uh spending this time with us and i'm one on that list that i want to hear everything you say a uh, young man that's uh accomplished what you've accomplished in our sport I'm going to listen to you, and I'm satisfied there's going to be a bunch more listen to you. If they want to gather knowledge, uh, I'd say tune in. And uh, as we close, Tyler always allows me a time when you talked about family and thankful. I'd just like to say the word that uh, Almighty God loves us. He, we're his most prized possession, and anytime we want to talk to him, we can in prayer. Anytime we want him to talk to us, we can open his word, the Bible, and read it, and uh, first always remember that he truly loves us. His son, Jesus Christ, paid the penalty for our sins. He gave us a pardon. He's offered that pardon to us, but we have to ask for it and accept it. And, uh, well, I'm about done now. I've enjoyed it again. I want to say thank you all to everyone. And, Tyler, thank you for letting me be a part of this. All right, and thank you, Mr. Ray, for being a part. All right, Kevin, we'll uh, talk to you later. And you have a good All day, right, guys. Buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, you guys sir. too. Yep. Bye. Yep. Bye. Bye. Conkey's Outdoors knows that keeping up with the latest in hunting technology can be expensive. That's why they're proud to offer amazing financing options from 30 days, same as cash, to 0% interest for 6, 9, 12, and even 18 months, depending on your credit score and the amount you spend. If you've been eyeballing that new thermal or want to upgrade to the latest in tracking system technology, go find out more on the web at conkeysoutdoors.com or if you're in the Hastings, Florida area, stop by and visit. They'd love to have you. Conkeys Outdoors, houndsmen, helping houndsmen. I really hope y'all enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you like what you heard here, go on over to Facebook. Give us a like, at Coon Hunting You. Also, go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. And remember, if you need a new hunting light, do not overlook Superior. They make an awesome light, best customer service in the business. Man, their walking light and double red is the brightest I've ever seen. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout at nighthunters.com. You can find the link in the description box below this. Coon Hunting University is a product of Audio Hound Productions. Until next time, y'all have a wonderful day.